This morning we're reading from chapter 3 and 23 in the story which talks about the beginning of Jesus' ministry. For those of you that would like to follow along with what I'm going to be reading, I'm on page 326 and 27. Or if you'd like to follow along in your pew Bible, the passages of scripture I'll be reading come from John chapter 3 and then John chapter 4. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are not old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? Very truly I tell you. We speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, But to save the world through him, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. From John chapter 4, now Jesus had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I will give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up 
to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back to draw water. Who is Jesus? How can he say what he is saying? How can he do that? I think those are many of the questions that have been posed about Jesus. Very easy questions for us to think of and look at as we read the Gospels and as we think of those who encountered Jesus in the first, for the first time as his ministry began. Who was he? How can he say the things that he is saying? How is he doing the things that he is doing? Because those are the questions that you and I have been handed down throughout the generations as we've read the stories of Jesus, as we've heard the Gospels, each a narrative or an accounting in their own way, as the Gospel writer attempts to pass on the knowledge of Jesus that they have, their experience of Jesus that they themselves experienced, and as they try to pass it on to you and me, who they knew would not encounter Christ in bodily form, probably for themselves. Who was he? Who is he? How can he do what he does? In each of the Gospels, the Gospel writer attempts to answer these questions for himself. As they each thought of their own experiences, of what they had heard themselves, of what Jesus had said, of what they themselves had witnessed, or of what others had said about him. Each Gospel writer attempted to answer this question. Who is Jesus? in their own gospel and to the people that they were writing to. What did Jesus mean? What did his life mean? They attempted to answer that question as they passed that on to those who would be coming behind them. And then they asked the question, what does his death and resurrection mean to later generations? So I think each gospel writer attempted to remember what Jesus had said and the ways that he worked and the ways that he acted. And in their gospel, they worked to accurately portray who they believed Jesus was and who Jesus would be for those that would be reading this narrative, this accounting of their letter. So for the next four weeks, counting today, you and I will be reading from the gospels in the story. Each chapter of the story takes from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And arranges it in such a way that you and I read about the ministry of Jesus in a somewhat chronological fashion. As we read what each gospel writer felt what would be important for those who followed them to to know about Jesus of Nazareth. Each gospel writer had a target that they wanted to pass on, a message that they wanted to convey about Jesus to those who followed them. And so this morning I want to start, since we're going to be spending a few weeks in the Gospels, to just spend a minute overviewing each of the Gospels, their target group, kind of the overarching theme and interpretation that each Gospel writer intends for those of us to read the Gospel to receive and to know. The first three Gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. 
They're called the synoptic gospels because if you lay them parallel with one another, there are a number of stories and number of quotes and number of events that happen in all three of the gospels. A number of accountings that they share, that they attribute to Jesus. There are a number of theories to explain why the gospels are similar. There are many of them. I'm not going to talk about them, but there's one that, you know, just for an example, so that you can kind of see what some people think about it. One theory about the Synoptic Gospels is that Mark was written first in like 40 or 50 AD. And so Mark was used by Matthew and Luke to kind of offer a framework or an overview or kind of a text that they looked at as they wrote their Gospels. There are also a few verses that are found in Matthew and Luke that they share that are not part of the Gospel of Mark. And so a theory says that there was a second source that Matthew and Luke used that they referenced when they wrote their Gospels. This source was likely verbal. It has not been found in written form or fashion anywhere. We don't know what it's called. So biblical scholars have just given it the unique name Q. And so Matthew and Mark or Matthew and Luke likely used Mark and this nonverbal source called Q to arrange and write their gospel. One other thing we must remember as we read the gospels is that gospel in Greek is interpreted to mean good news in English. And so the gospel in Greek is written to be good news for us. So each gospel writer, as they have written and taken into account everything that is in their gospel by the prompting of the Spirit, has worked to present the good news of Jesus Christ to you and me. So as they write about Jesus' life, they want us to see the good news that came to us from Jesus' life. They want us to see the good news that comes to us from the ministry of Jesus, from the death of Jesus, and from the resurrection of Jesus. And so by the leading of the Holy Spirit, they've chosen to pass these things on to those of us in successive generations. The Gospel Matthew is the one that's first in the New Testament. Matthew's focus in his Gospel is to those who, are, who were raised in the Hebrew faith and the Jewish faith. Matthew's writing to people that are familiar with the Torah or the Book of Law in the Old Testament. And what Matthew writes and what he wants us to see in his gospel is that Jesus was king. Jesus was a king who came straight from the lineage of King David. And so if you look in the gospel of Matthew at the very beginning, I think it's in the first chapter, Matthew provides a genealogy of Jesus that links him directly to King David through, through Joseph, Jesus' earthly father. Matthew offers this because he wants those of us that are reading it, to see that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophets where they said, out of the line of David will come a king. And so Matthew wants us to see that above all else, Jesus is a descendant of David. And he is an answer to all of the prophecy of the Messiah who has come. In Luke's Gospel, Luke is Greek. He wrote his gospel to a Greek audience, to people who were likely not raised in the Jewish faith. And so Luke wants us to see that Jesus was fully human. That he was born as an infant to an ordinary woman. He is not just divine. He is not just God on earth, but he is also fully human. And so Luke stresses the birth story of Jesus. In fact, much of what we read in Advent season and on Christmas Eve comes from the gospel of Luke. 
Because of the time that Luke took in making sure that you and I would see that yes, Jesus was divine, but more importantly to him, that Jesus was fully human. Which means that he fully experienced what you and I have experienced on this earth. Luke links Jesus in his genealogy, in his book of the Bible, to the very first man, which is Adam. And so Luke uses Jesus in the the genealogy of Adam to bridge the gap of sin between humanity and God. Because Luke wants us to see that, yes, Jesus was fully divine, but that Jesus came to this earth to bridge the gap that was caused by sin with us, with, between us and God. And so to Luke's gospel, Jesus is human, and he's the bridge that goes across the chasm of sin that allows us to approach God. In Mark's gospel, which is the shortest gospel, Jesus is presented as a great servant, And so Mark doesn't offer the genealogy of Jesus. In fact, if you go read the Gospel of Mark, Mark doesn't spend really any time talking about the birth of Jesus at all. Because Mark's focus is what Jesus did in his ministry and the ways that he was prompted and led by the Holy Spirit. And so Mark doesn't spend time talking about who Jesus was related to. He doesn't take the time to to chart the genealogy of Jesus or really to spend any time telling about the birth. What Mark focuses on is, is, is that Jesus was sent by the Holy Spirit to be in ministry, to preach, to teach, to heal. And in doing all of those things, Mark shows us that Jesus is a servant. That in his death on the cross, Jesus served us by bridging the chasm of sin that allows us to approach God. And then the last gospel is John, which stands on its own. John's gospel it can't, isn't really compared to the synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And we looked a bit last week at the introduction to John's gospel in the first chapter. Because when John asked the question, who is Jesus? John's answer is Jesus is God. The incarnation, Jesus' word made flesh, even in the flesh he is divine. John offers a lineage of Jesus, not of human standards. But if you read the Gospel of John, John says that Jesus was the word who was with God in the beginning at the part of the creation, who was with God before the creation ever happened. Because John wants us to see that Jesus was part of the Trinity, of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And He is now present in this earth, as God walking amongst us, walking among humanity, experiencing the world and life that we experience, experiencing the burden of sin. But to John, Jesus is God. And so I think we have to keep that in mind as we read the Gospels. Is that each Gospel presents us a different thing, but in each Gospel the Spirit offers to us new understandings of who Jesus was and of of how Jesus served in ministry for you and I on this earth. And so this morning's chapter we read from chapter 23. And the chapter as an overview covered the starting ministry of Jesus. And so he's baptized and we read about how God said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. We read about the temptation of Jesus and how Satan tempted him and how Jesus said that he relied on God alone. We read about the calling of the twelve disciples and how Jesus chose these normal, ordinary people to come and be witnesses and to learn and to become 
the first apostles or people who were called by God to take the message of Jesus Christ into the world. We read today of the first miracles and healings and then we began to read about Jesus' teachings. As I read the story this last week, there were a couple stories that jumped out at me and they were the ones that we just read on pages 326 through 328 which were also found in the Gospel of John chapters 3 and 4. The first is the story of Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a man who is knowledgeable in the Old Testament law. In fact, one of his duties as a Pharisee is is the Pharisees would sit and they would interpret what it meant to live a life of faith in response to God by following the law. And so Nicodemus knows the law, but Nicodemus in whatever way encounters Jesus And he hears the teachings of Jesus and he hears what Jesus has done in the presence of others. And for whatever reason, Nicodemus is drawn to visiting Jesus. And so Nicodemus comes in the middle of the night, the scripture says, to find out more. To talk to Jesus. To question Jesus. To find out more about his message and about what he was doing and how he was doing it. See, Nicodemus' story shows us a story of someone who, who is the ultimate insider, who should know everything about faith. But yet Jesus says, you know and you don't understand. Nicodemus comes in the night, possibly to protect his reputation, likely to protect his reputation, for he is being drawn to this Jesus that, that the other Pharisees are calling a hypocrite and a blasphemer. But Nicodemus comes and he answers the call and the urging of the Spirit in his heart and he goes. And there he encounters the risen Christ and finds that Jesus is receptive to meet to him and to offer him life even in the darkness of night. Nicodemus finds that Jesus is ready to offer him the gift of life even when he is not expected, even in the middle of the night, even to someone who should know it all, who should know the law. But yet there in that discussion, Jesus offers him life. As he tells him that the Son of Man came so that all who believe in him will have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And then in John's Gospel, he follows with a second story in chapter 4. The story of a woman who is ultimately about as far outside the Jewish faith as you can get. A story of a woman that, that most Jews would avoid on the street. They would cross to the other side of the road so that they would not have to encounter one another. As John tells a story of Jesus and a Samaritan woman. She's a woman. She's a Samaritan. If you'll remember with me a few weeks ago, we talked about how the, the Judeans returned from Babylon when they had been exiled there, when, they were, when the Ju- Jerusalem was conquered by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. The Samaritans were the people that had stayed there in the land. And in the absence of the temple, they had started sacrificing on top of Mount Gerasim. And when the Judeans returned from Babylon, the Samaritans went to them and said, we want to help you build the temple. And due to differences in worship and other things, the Judeans said no. And then there was bad blood on both sides. 
And so that's why the people said a, Jude- a Jew would not interact or encounter a Samaritan willingly. It's because of that time, you know, 400 years before, when the, Jeru- the Judeans returned to Jerusalem. But in John's Gospel, Jesus is sitting by a well. It's midday, it's noon. It's the heat of the day. The women normally draw water early in the morning and then take it back to their homes to use in their cooking and other things that they did. But this woman, for whatever reason, is there in the heat of the day. Much like the story of Nicodemus, she has arrived when time when no one else is there. No one else is going to be around. Perhaps because of her reputation, as Jesus tells, us about, tells her about herself, she comes to avoid others. Yet it is there at the well, in the heat of the day, that she encounters the risen. She encounters Jesus Christ, and in that encounter, she's offering the living water of God, a water that gives her life, and she receives it. And in receiving, she goes into her town to tell others of what has happened, that the Messiah has come, and others experience, and they too believe. And John writes that Jesus spent two days there before he continued northward to the Galilee. See, I think these stories tell us this morning that God and Jesus is ready to meet us wherever we are at and whatever stages or phases of our life we are in, God is there and he is willing. Jesus was... was, Interrupted in the night by Nicodemus, someone who could have come at any time and at any day to question him. But yet he did at night. And Jesus painted a picture and showed him how he was a fulfillment of the Old Testament. How he was like the snake that Moses had lifted in the wilderness to protect the people of Israel that had been bitten by snake bites and to offer them life. And then Jesus says to him, I can offer you this life. Even in the darkness of night... Even in not fully understanding, I can offer you this gift and by the power of the Spirit, you can know. But then Jesus in the second story offers life to someone that was exactly the opposite of Nicodemus. Someone who a a faithful Jew would have avoided. Someone who even many in her community would have scorned and ridiculed. But yet Jesus offers her water. Sitting there at a well and at a well and tells her that the water that he gives will give her life. Not just life to quench her thirst in the near term, but water that will offer her eternal life. See, as we read this passage of scripture, I think what it can show us is that we have to be ready. Whenever we are at, wherever we are at, in whatever stage of life or place we are in, to offer the gift of life to others as Jesus himself was ready. He was ready in the darkness of night to to receive the questions of Nicodemus and to say to him and to offer him the gift of life that comes from him. He was ready there in the heat of the day to offer this woman that, that in any other place she would have been avoided. But he was ready to offer her the gift that could only come from him by God through the Holy Spirit. See, God offers each of us that gift. And God offers us the opportunity To be open to the Spirit so that we can offer it to others. Whether we encounter them in the highs of life or the lows of life or, you know, wherever it may be. God gives it to us. So that we can share it, so that we can become vessels 
that carry it to others out of this place and into our world in which God has sent us to be ministers, to be disciples, to be followers of Jesus Christ so that others may see, others may receive, and like the Samaritans, others will believe. Amen. If I can invite you to join me now as we sing together our closing hymn, Blessed Assurance. If there are those who would like to become